0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much he loves us starts right now.
1: Guys, Chuck Swindoll, most of you know him, and I hope you do. Chuck Swindoll tells a story in his book called Living Above Mediocrity. And he talks about conformity, conformity in life. And he, he, he go ahead and he writes this story and I want to read it to you for just a second, see if you can grasp it. It was a few years ago, uh, Chuck Swindoll writes, a psychologist by the name of Ruth R. W. Berenda, and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed, if you will, to show how a person handled group pressure. We all know about peer pressure. We all know about group pressure. The plan was simple, he says. They brought in a group of 10 adolescents into a room for a test. Subsequently, each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands when their teacher pointed to the longest line on three separate charts. What one person didn't know... Guys, what one person in the group didn't know was that nine, that the nine of the others in the room had been instructed ahead of time to vote for the second longest line. Regardless of the instructions they heard in the room, once they were all together in the group, nine were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the next longest line. The experiment began with nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. And the other, the the uh, lone ranger, if you will, stood there and typically glanced around the room, frowned in confusion, and then slipped up his hand to agree with the rest of the group. The instructions were repeated and the next card was raised. Time after time, the self conscious adolescent would sit there saying, The short line is longer than the long line simply because. He lacked the courage to challenge the rest of the group. This remarkable conformity occurred about 75% of the time of all the cases. when it was actually true, Chuck Swindoll writes with smaller kids and even with high school kids as well. You see, he writes about conformity, conformity. And I started thinking about conformity and I thought, well, what does Mr. Webster say about it? What does Mr. Webster say about conformity? What is conformity? Well, he writes like this. He says, conformity is compliance with standards, rules, or laws. Okay, I get it, Mr. Webster. What else? Conformity uh, to regulations. Now here's where, here's where he gets where Chuck Swindoll was coming. Conformity is behavior in accordance with socially accepted conventions or standards and loyalty to one's party's need. That's conformity. Guys, we see it today when we are our friends on Facebook. Like we might like something that really isn't true, but because all of our friends are liking it, we think it's the way to go. Or, if you will, conformity is when a joke is being told and you don't get the joke, but you laugh anyway because because your friends are laughing and you didn't want to feel like the one that's like, I don't get it. You don't get it. And you're like, I get it. And you don't get it. That's what he's talking about. But what is Paul talking about as far as conformity? Well, Andrew Murray describes it this way. He says the Bible speaks of a twofold conformity. He says the first one, well, the twofold conformity likeness is that we bear. Number one, he says we may be conformed to the world. He says the second one is we're conformed to Christ. There's the twofold conformity. You're either conformed to the world or conformed to Christ, And then he goes on to say, and conformity, um, the one we choose excludes or drives out the other. If we're conforming to the world, guess what it does? It excludes or drives out our conformity to Christ. If we are conformed and walking in Christ, and that's our lives, and we're constantly doing that, it would and it should block out, if you will, or exclude and drive out conformity to the world. Andrew Murray goes on to say, Conformity to Jesus, where it is sought, will be secretly prevented by conformity to the world more than anything else. And conformity to the world can only be overcome by nothing but conformity to Jesus. If you're taking notes, when we come to a verse like Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the key to this verse really is twofold, okay? And you need to jot this down. Why? Because well, here's what a lot of people do. Here, here's, here's the key. The good, okay, we're gonna look at that. The good of which Paul speaks has nothing to do with our comfort and everything to do with, all, with our ultimate conformity to Christ. Let me say that again. The key to Romans 8.28 has nothing to do with our good, but it has everything to do with us being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. That's our first key. You go, well, what else is the key? Second key to this verse in verse 28 is really simple. You will see it based on the text is our, or is basically his glorification as well as our sanctification. So not only, so, so again, first key, the good, Okay? The good has nothing to do with our comfort, has everything to do with, what's that? Our conformity to Christ. And second, it's all about His glorification and our sanctification. Now, of course, when we come to a verse like Romans eight twenty eight, we know a lot of people will look at it and they'll misuse it or they misquote it or they don't understand it. And a lot of times, well, and let me say this again, okay, because I've used it, okay? Hashtag real talk, hashtag vulnerability right here. We've, I've used it at times where it's like, man, I've, I've used it in the wrong context. And you go, why? Because a lot of people do. We just, don't, we just didn't understand it. You go, well, how would they misuse it? Well, here's a way. See, the passage is often used to encourage another believer who's going through a really, really tough time. It's used to encourage them, and it, and it, it, and it reminds them that it will eventually work out for their good or for something good in their life. Hey, it's going to work out. You go, what, is, what does that mean? Okay, in other words, here's how the verse is used. If you were to get cancer or get fired... Basically, they're saying, hey, let me encourage you, don't sweat it because God has something better in store for you. And they go, and remember, all things work out for good, right? And so that's how this verse is used. You go, well, let's talk about the verse, Ben, and then we can see how it's misused. Okay, well... This is what Paul writes and I'm going to give it to you in the New King James version because I want I want you to see how he actually he wrote it here in New King James. It goes like this, okay? In Romans chapter 8 verse 28 it says, "And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose." Everybody see that? Okay? Let me say it again. "And we know that all things work together for good" To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His Purpose. Now, let me back up for just a second, okay? Because you need to understand, Paul talks about good, and it has nothing to do with our comfort, but everything to do with conformity. Everybody got that? And then it's talking about glorification and sanctification. But let me let me let me give it to you in a couple of other translations and see if you can see if there's any key words that are missing and so forth. Look at verse, uh, or listen if you don't have it. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight in the NIV says this, and we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's the NIV. In the New Living Translation, it says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And of course, in the English Standard Version, it says, and we know that for those who love God, things work together for good, for those who are called according to to his purpose what i found interesting in just the verses that i've studied when i when i look at the niv or the new living translation or the esv it seems like most of them have left out the word the in the new king james version it says the called not just called that are the called and that leads us specifically to what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. But keep that in mind, the called, not just simply called according to his purpose. That's key, church. That is so key when we begin to dissect this verse and be able to encourage somebody with it. The called, the called. Now, for, for just a moment... Let's embark, let's talk about how people misunderstand this verse and how they misquote it. Many people will come to this verse and they will say, okay, when you encounter problems or you encounter failures in life, all you need to do is remember this verse. That's kind of their motto. And what will happen is it will surely enlighten your spirit and there are certain reasons why these unusual things have happened to you. Okay? So all of a sudden, something's happened bad in your life, I show up with a smile on my face, with my hands on my hip, and I say, it's okay, it's all going to work out. That's the way they take the verse. Okay. But it gets deeper than that, okay? It gets deeper. Let me, I, I read a story that just broke my heart. It's from a man named Jared. He, he writes on his blog and, 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 and here's the first thing he says, okay? He says, he explains that the good in this verse can be misunderstood. The good in this verse, right? Here's what he writes. He says, when I was in high school, I had a friend that I really looked up to. Greg was bright, talented, and most importantly, deeply loved the Lord Jesus. Unlike some of our other Christian friends, Greg was was going somewhere for God. If anyone had a promising life in ministry ahead of him, surely it was Greg. He says, early one Friday evening in the spring of my junior year, he said the phone rang. Greg had just got in a freak accident. And he was in a great deal of pain and the doctors were not sure if he would pull through. I remember like it was yesterday, staying up all night, sitting on the hospital floor, praying, numbing, staring at the the intensive care sign that stood between me and Greg. And I prayed for healing, he says. I prayed for healing. And I had a strong faith that God would answer. It never occurred to me that God's answer might be no. It was a few days later that Greg entered into the presence of Jesus. Well, Greg's father was not a Christian, and he was understandably a broken man. And many of us who were Christians had the opportunity to share with him. And I'll never forget one of my brothers in Christ said to Greg's dad, quote, you know, the Bible says all things work together for good, unquote. Well, his reaction was both understandable and predictable. He was angry and bitter, not only at Greg's death, but at the sheer audacity of someone apparently labeling his son's tragic death as good. You see, remember what he says, the good in this is not for our comfort, but for our conformity. And somebody took this and he says, wow, could you imagine? Here's an unbelieving man, his son tragically just dies, and a well-meaning, and I always say that good, because guys, we're believers, we're not coming in, we don't want to hurt anybody, well-meaning believer will come and say, oh, but here's what the Bible says. All things work together for the good, and and, you're, and the, the the unbelievers going. Are you serious? And so, a lot of people really misunderstand what the verse means. And 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 again, we misunderstand this verse to mean that whatever tragedy we encounter, God's going to work it out for our good. But we have to be so careful. Because I read of another story of where a sister misquoted this verse. Let me share this story with you. She writes this. Imagine a woman, let's call her Mary, whose husband just died after a long, painful illness. A friend, we'll call her Jennifer, comes to see her and says, Mary, I know this has been a hard time for you, but cheer up, Mary. Mary. All this is for the good. Listen to Romans 8.28. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Mary, everything's going to work out okay. And Mary responds like this. Jennifer, did you see him die? Do you know how much pain he suffered? Do you know how for the last three months he laid there with tubes coming out of him? Helpless, the big, strong husband of mine. Do you know that every penny we had saved was spent on medical care and I'm left with a huge debt? Do you know the hole that's left in my heart after my soulmate has been ripped from me? Mary, Jennifer, what do you mean all things work together for good? His pain and suffering and death were not good. What should Jennifer say? What would you say in this situation? You see again guys we have to be so careful because we'll take a verse like this and we'll want to encourage somebody and I've used this illustration before but we know and, and and we knew you know metaphorically that in the ocean that sometimes waves are like life sometimes you get a you'll get a big wave and it'll knock you down or you get little ones and and that's just kind of how life is sometimes you're walking in a lot of, and you don't get a wave for a little while and then something will happen well here's here's the problem the problem is that when you get an encounter of a huge wave and it knocks you back and it knocks you down and it and it and it 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 knocks your feet from under you. You'll have well meaning believer come and say, Oh, don't worry about it. You see that wave that just knocks you down, it's okay, it's four, it's gonna wall work out, it's all good. And you're sitting in the bottom of the ocean, halfway drowning, thinking, How is this good? How is this good? The best way, church, is this. Remember, our key verses are twofold. Number one, when we're conformed to the world, we, we exclude conformity to Christ. But when we're conformed to Christ, then it excludes in, in, in our conformity to the world. So what's the best way to understand what Paul is trying to say? We have to do some work. We have to do some work, okay? So labor with me for a moment. This is how it's misused. This is how it's misused, but, but listen, let's go back and let's, let's teach it in the context of what, what Paul is telling, uh, the Romans under the power of the Holy Spirit in the application for you and I. Okay? First and foremost, if you're taking, oh, you know, understand that we need to teach even one verse in the context of the whole book. If you get the whole book, then you kind of get the idea of what Paul is talking about. Okay? So, remember, the book of Romans is divided into what? The book of Romans is divided into three sections. You go, what are they? Chapters one through eight deal with the principles of salvation. That's what Paul talks about. He's going to talk about the principles all the way from chapter one, all the way to chapter eight. Then in chapters 12 through 16, Paul comes back and he will deal with the practicals of salvation. You go, Pastor, what does that mean? It means he says like, like, listen, once you understand the principles and now that you're saved, since God has freed us from the law and the power of sin, he goes, this is how you should live. Oh, the practicals of how I should live. He says, man, you're saved by grace, you're saved by Jesus Christ, you understand that your heart is transformed, yes, you're not just a Christian in name only, right, you don't have the t-shirt or the bumper sticker, you are really a born again child of God, he says, this is how you should live, we got that, chapters 1 to 8, chapters 12 to 16, you go, Ben, what about chapters 9 through 11, well, it seems like Paul takes a break in the middle of this book, and he deals with, and he illustrates God's faithfulness by showing how God hasn't forgotten Israel it ties in beautifully but that's how the book is laid out Well chapters verse chapters one through eight actually deal with the principles of our salvation So Paul deals with them he deals with it and then he comes to chapter eight and chapter eight he comes and he says, okay he's going to set forth if you will some just incredible profound doctrines of assurance of all the New Testament. You go, what does Paul teach? Well, in chapter 8, he kind of brings in the Holy Spirit. He, t- he talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling us with a spirit that, that, that bears with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. Then goes on to say, okay, now listen, if you are children and you are children of God, not only are you heirs with God, but you're joint heirs with Christ. And everybody in that verse goes, yay! Why? Because isn't that the goal? We want to be heirs with God, right? We want to be joint heirs with Christ. That's the goal. But we have to take it a little bit further, okay? We have to take a little bit further because Paul finishes off the verse with a sentence, if indeed we suffer with him. Look at verse uh, 17 in chapter eight real quick. You should be right there, but he says this. He says, if children, talking about believers, then heirs. You know what an heir is, right? You have all the rights to what God has. What God has, you're the heir. You're the heir to what? And we love that, right? And he says, not only that, you're heirs of God. And he says, you're joint heirs with Christ. And I think if we fully understand verse 17, we're ecstatic. This is amazing. Why? Because I get everything that God has. Wow, this is cool. And not only that, but I'm joint heirs with Christ. This is cool. But then he says, if indeed, how? We suffer with him. If we suffer with Christ, that we may be glorified together. When we come to chapter 8, guys, before Paul crescendos, verse 28, he starts off with, okay, okay, you know that you're going to what? You know that you're going to be joint heirs. You know that you're you're going to be heirs with God. He says, but if you suffer... I don't think any one of us got up this morning and said, God, I'm here to suffer for you. We not That's not what we do, right? We're not like, what's your goal in life? To suffer. I just like suffering. You'd be silly. But Paul says, guys, listen, if you're going to be a believer, guess what? In this life, you're going to suffer with Christ. Now you go, well, Ben, okay, help me out here. Here's the thing, when it comes to, when, when I say suffering, a lot of us, I mean, it conjures up what? Mental images of people like in great physical pain, like, oh, they suffered and, and that just that means just great physical pain or, or some of us suffer in like what we would call financial difficulty or emotional distress or op- oppression by the strong or even being attacked by the vicious. That's when we think of suffering. But what Paul says, he goes, okay, but it's, but for the believer guys, it covers a much broader spectrum. Although patient, prayerful suffering, no matter how slight, is seen as acceptable sacrifice by God, who considers the believer's continuance in this world as a sharing of the sufferings of His Son. Well, how's that? What did you just say, Pastor? He says, guys, listen. Here's the deal. Okay, what Paul says is, listen. If you're going to, if you're going to take on the role as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Okay. He says, here's what's going to happen in this world through this life. There's going to be some pain and suffering. You're going to be, you it's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. There's going to be some pain and suffering. And, and, and Paul talks about this in Romans. So when you, when you're watching TV and, and, and there you are home and you've got the Doritos next to you and you've got your soft drink and you're just flipping through the channels because you won't give your wife the remote. And you come across the, the the religious channel, and someone's preaching Romans eight twenty eight, and they're saying, and it's working all for God, and God wants you to be. And then they start going off and saying how much God wants you to prosper and run forward, and and you sit there and you're just like, man, you love that, why? Because it's a great verse. But but what Paul is actually saying as he leads up to Romans eight twenty eight, he says, no, no, in life it's 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 part of suffering. There's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some trials. Why do you think when you stand before the minister and you're getting married, he says, for better or for better? Right? Nobody, we, 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 guys, come on, let's just shoot straight, right? We're not even listening to the vows. We're just excited about her. You know? I'll never forget my wedding. Natalie was shaking so bad. I was like this, uh, you know, I was like, I think she was a little scared to marry me. I don't blame her. Look at all this she has. But here's the point, guys. The point is it's for better or for worse. And some days you're going to be, "Go, oh, gosh, things are going good, man, things are smooth. My wife loves me, my kids are obedient. That's amazing right there, and that's all good, but then I mean, financial financial struggles could come, heartache could come, things you don't see, but as a believer. Paul says, listen, it's part of what it's the it's the it's it's your continuance in this world of sharing in the sufferings of God. And so he says, that's where we're headed. And he says, now, in order to be able to handle such a thing, you need some help, Paul says. You go, how so? Well, let's pick it up in verse 26 and let's kind of get the flow of what Paul is teaching. Okay, he says, likewise, starts off. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, okay? So right off the bat, he's going, okay, I need some help. Who's helping me? It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit's going to help me in my weakness. And he says, and there are times that we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Let me have your attention, please. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you just didn't know how to pray, is that bad? And you're like, how do I even start to pray? I mean, I can, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know how to ask this. Well, we have here the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this to you, okay? The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave that lives inside you is saying, listen, He's here to help you in your weakness. He's here to help you, guys. He's going to live in your heart. He's going to intercede for us according to God's will. And he's going to intercede for us in heaven. That's what he's talking about. And then verse 27, he says, Now he who searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession with the saints according to the will of God. So again, we see this. Now, he who searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because Jesus makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So not only do you have the Holy Spirit living inside you who's now guiding you, why? Because I need help. I, I know that there's gonna be some sufferings. I know there's gonna be some hard times. I know that there's gonna be some emotional stress. I know there's some of us in this room that have some open. Open, emotional wounds that God needs to heal. Oh, I need the Holy Spirit. God, I need the Holy Spirit. He's like, he's there. He's there in your weakness. But then we also, he just said, we have Jesus, guys, who's praying for us in heaven. And I love this part. Why? Because do you guys remember when when Jesus was with Peter, right? He's with Peter. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you know that Satan wants to sift you like wheat? Not a thing I want to hear that Jesus tell me, okay? He says, Peter, do you remember? He says, you know, you remember how he comforted Peter? He says, but I've, I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you. And I think that's some great encouragement, guys, that I can give you this morning. Listen, do you realize that Jesus Christ ever stands before the throne of God pleading for us, guys, making petition for us and defending us? Don't we need a lot of defense? (laughs) <laughs> right? And that's, and, I, and be encouraged. Be encouraged, guys. Why? Because Jesus is praying for you every day. So right here, Paul is telling us, guys, okay, okay, here's how life is. You ready? Here's how life is. You're going to suffer with Christ. You're going to be a joint heir. I mean, that's all good, but there's going to be some sufferings. Okay, Ben, I get it, and, but you got the Holy Spirit, too, and you got Jesus praying for you. And so Romans 8, guys, is a reference to the help that the Spirit gives us. Okay, so God's Holy Spirit is given to us to what? To dwell inside us. He knows the perfect will of God. He acts as our advocate, and he's praying for us from within. Now, he's also a personal guide. He's also a personal guide. Now, listen, before you get saved... Before you ever get saved, before your heart ever becomes transformed, the Bible talks about it being born again. Your conscience is your guide. And if you have seared your conscience, you may think something is right that isn't right, and that's your conscience, and you go, oh, well, here's what I think. I'm going to run this way, and you have no conscience, but your conscience is your guide. Excuse me, but when you get saved, the Holy Spirit now becomes your guide, and he's the one that directs you. He's the one that now, he's, I mean, he knows, God, he knows God's perfect will. He's your advocate. And now he is the one who comes alongside you, guys, to render comfort and aid. But let me say this to you guys. A lot of times, there's two things we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit will never bring guilt in your life. Sometimes we mix up uh, conviction with guilt, okay? Okay. Guilt is the, what the devil does and says, hey, you are done this, you're guilty, you don't even worth nothing, are you kidding me? And, and we walk away defeated. Let me say this, that might be you here today, can I just say this to you? Listen, you may not be where you wanna be, but you're definitely not where you were. And so you just keep moving forward. The enemy will bring guilt and tell you to stay. He likes to kick us down and to stay down, amen? But conviction from the Holy Spirit is Beautiful because now he's living inside us and he's convicting us. And that conviction is a beautiful thing. You go, how so? Well, it's funny how it worked out, but yesterday about two o'clock, I texted my beautiful wife and I said, hey, coffee break? Now, when she gets busy and I get busy, we try to meet for a coffee break, right? And coffee break is a little coffee. We go and have coffee. And I found it, it was just, it was a a beautiful thing. So she said, yes, one hour. So I leave here and and I go home and we go uh, go over to Market Street on 98th and we have coffee. And we're sitting there. And part of coffee break is people watching, right? We just like to watch people. Come on, just me? Yeah. So we're sitting there and we're talking and... uh, And we're drinking coffee and we're watching people and we're just visiting. And all of a sudden, this guy, out of nowhere, comes up and stands and he goes, you're that pastor from a church. And I'm like, okay. He says, I've been to your church. I didn't think it was you. I thought it was one of my friends from work. But then I realized it's a pastor. And then then he goes on to do this. He goes on, he goes, you know what? I've got to confess something to you and he starts telling me he says now listen i went to your church for a while and then and then uh, you know just a couple of times and, y- and your leadership prayed for me and then he said um but then uh, i just i went out and i i found a i found a church that i really fit in i'm like oh praise god he says but but then my wife left me i kind of fell out of fellowship and then she came back and she's here now and and so so yeah and i'm just listening to him like that drinking my coffee right and he says and um and then I saw you. He says, But you know what I was doing in here? He says, You see, I'd walked away from God for a little bit and I started drinking a lot. And then he said, Okay, I stopped. I'm not going to do this anymore. God, I'm not going to do this anymore. But then, but then the devil whispered in my ear, It's Super Bowl. Just, just one more. He says, So, so he's on his way. And he's getting, he's getting, I don't even, unbeknownst to me, I'm just drinking coffee. <laughs> you know? He, and, he's, and, and he looks over and sees me and sees Nathalie, and he's like. <laughs> and he says, you know, I came in here because I thought just one more time. That's what he said, just one more time. It's Super Bowl, why not? Because everybody drinks on Super Bowl. And he said, I got so convicted when I saw you, the Lord began to speak to me. And I'm sitting there just, you know, I mean, I'm going, God, you did it again. Because why? Church, listen, conviction is a beautiful thing if we'll listen to it. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, why one more? Do you see how your life is upside down and and, and, and it's just a roller coaster? And one minute you're on top of the hill going, Jesus! And then, and then what happens is that You see, the Holy Spirit is your guide, and and, and that's what he's saying. He's going to come alongside you, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to aid you, and he's going to say, please don't go that way. Please don't go that way. Church, this is just a side note, okay? My opinion, I'm standing way over here. But do you realize that this day is one of the most domesticated abuse days in all of the year? What do you mean? Husbands get drunk and get mad that their team doesn't win and they beat up their wives. I've never seen anyone have a Bible study after getting drunk. It usually goes the opposite, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us, guys. He's our helper and he's a pledge for our inheritance. So back in our text, all of this is the crescendo in verse 28 says what? He says, okay, we're suffering. The Holy Spirit helps us. He's gonna guide us. And then he says, now, verse 28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God and, to, and those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, okay, we gotta grasp this, guys. We gotta grasp this. There are two things. There are two things um, which we need to understand about Romans 8, 28 to use it the right way. Number one, here's what you need to write down. This statement, this verse is for believers. It's for believers. It says this, those who love God and are called or the called according to his purpose. Remember I said the word the is real important. It's the called. It means it's, this verse is written for you, for the believers, Okay. Um, listen, it's one of those precious pearls that cannot be cast at the feet of unbelievers. They won't understand it. They won't grasp it. Sig- Think about Greg's dad. Are you kidding me? You said my my son's death is good? They don't understand it. Guys, it's for the believer. It's for the believer. Now, it's been said that the Bible is what God's love letter to us. And that when an unbeliever, have you ever, I mean, have you ever tried to read the Bible before you're saved? People, are, I don't understand it and we go because it's not written to you. It's written to it's written to his kids. It's a love letter. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying be careful you don't use this verse and just kind of say that, right? It's a love letter. And you guys know this, right? Guys, do you guys remember when you used to write love letters to your wife? Do you remember? To your girlfriend you used to write a bunch of love letters. Now we just text emojis. I mean, I don't get it, but you know, Love you. Thumbs up. But you used to write love letters. And every now and then, when your girlfriend got mad at you, she threw your love letter out and somebody else found it. She's looking at it. And you're looking at it and you go, this doesn't make any sense to me. And you, Why? Because it's not written to you, is it? But when your, when your boyfriend, husband hopefully now, wrote you a love letter... Oh, you kept it didn't you? I mean that thing was so worn out because you kept it in your back pocket and you'd read it everywhere you went. Oh, so wait, and you read it right, and you had a little box, and you kept everything that he ever gave you in there, and then you'd look at it, and you'd go, "What was this rose for? It's the first rose he ever gave me It's all dried up and right. <laughs> And we were at the carnival and he won this. Why do you keep that, church? Why do you keep that, gals? Why do you keep that, guys? That's from him. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, this 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 verse, verse 28, it's it's for you believers. It's for us. Careful. Be careful that we don't just we don't just use that. Unbelievers will go, I mean, I mean, think about it, okay? Think about if that was us right? And you went to Greg's dad and you said, listen, here's what the Bible says. And be careful when you say, here's what the Bible says, guys, because now you're speaking for God. Here's what the Bible says. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And his dad goes, are you telling me that my son's tragic death is good? Here's what's going to happen, okay? He's an unbeliever. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to go, if that's what Christianity is, if you're telling me that your God loves me so much that he takes pleasure in, in, in tragedy... I don't want anything to do with that God. We have misrepresented God because that's not what the verse says, is it? The verse, let me check my time. The verse, guys, deals with what? It deals with, it's about believers. But second of all, guys, here it is, ready? The second essential point in Romans 8, 28, is that the focus is not isolated in the events of a believer's life, but the sum of, to- of the total of all events in your life. All of it. Do you see the difference between saying each thing by itself is good or all things? All things in our lives. See, that's what we need to remember, all things. This journey, there's going to be all things and God's going to work them for Good. See, there's a tremendous difference. This verse does not tell me that I should say it is good if my leg is broken or it is good if my house burns down or if I'm robbed or beaten or my child dies. But what it does say is that God will use every single event in our lives and he's going to weave them together in every facet of my life, in order to produce what he knows to be the very best for me. Those things in your life, good, bad, you know, some of those things God is still taking and he's using them so that he can what? So that he can produce what he knows is very best for you and for him. How so? The verse and the text deal with conformity to Christ. And when we walk within that conformity to Christ, here's a couple of things that happens. Number one, we begin to glorify God, which is part of the verse. But also, it's what we call progressive sanctification. Progressive that We become sanctified. And here's how progressive sanctification works, okay? Sanctification is really simple. It means that you're going to be like Jesus more and more every single day. It's progressive sanctification. Now, why is it Progressive. Because we think becoming more like Jesus, we would hope that it's a four-lane highway and that we're on cruise control and we don't even have to work real hard. We're just there. What are you doing? Being more like Jesus every day. <laughs> Want to listen to some tunes? <laughs> the problem is is progressive sanctification is not a highway. It's a little path uphill, both ways, just kidding, uphill, and guess what? There's cactus, got to be careful. There's rocks, and it's very steep, which means it's progressive. Pastor, I'm not sure I get what you're saying. Okay, picture it this way. There's a lot of us that are going to become like Jesus every single day, and it's going to take us a lifetime to get there. Can I get an amen? So what does God have to do? He has to take his little wonderful chisel, and he has to start breaking some pieces off. Now, to you and I, that sounds great until it starts chiseling on us. And God comes up, he's like, hey, I want to make you more like me. Go for it, God, I love you. He says, we got some pride to work on. We do? Yeah, watch. Ting, 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 ting. Ow! Oh, that hurt. Why? Because as a sculpture, guys, as we're being, if we're being God's workmanship, like he says in Ephesians, then he has to sculpt us to be more like him. That hurts. It feels a lot better after it's done. And you start looking and go, hey, that arm's looking a lot like Jesus, and I was like, "You ready? You know you have some anger issues. Say what? You know you've got some." And so he comes and he goes, ting, ting, ting. and it hurts. Why? Progressively, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, what's the end result? The end result is that at the at the end of the day, you should reflect Jesus. It's a lifetime of progression. It's a lifetime. Church, when do we graduate? When we die. That's when, that's when you're glorified. But, but until then, you're gonna be more and more like Jesus. I was driving home the other day and I was listening to John MacArthur on the radio and he was uh, sharing some letters uh, of some faithful listeners. And there was a 93-year-old woman who wrote him a letter. And, I, and I, got the, I got just the biggest kick out of that because she said, I'm 93 years old. I still listen to your sermons and i just wanted to say thank you she says i can't go to church anymore i'm too old i can't serve the lord anymore this way but she goes i'm i'm, I'm still growing and more and more and he says and she's like 93 years old and she says i'm so ready to go and be with jesus L- guys as we get older we should be more seasoned with grace cuz that's what the that's what he's saying he's saying listen Listen, guys, as we're conformed to Christ and we're becoming more like him and, and, and we glorify him, we walk in that progressive sanctification, sanctification. And so when Paul comes in and he's saying, okay, let's teach the verse in context. And guys, we know because we're believers that all things, all things in our life, every, every bit of it is going to do one thing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to all work together for what's really best for me and how I need to grow and be more like God, and how I can glorify God while I'm here. You see, God says, I'm going to work all things, not just one event, not just just tragedy here, and not just a mountaintop here. He says, I'm going to take it all because I love you. I love you. And because, guys, our lives belong to him, we're found in Christ. But then he says something that I want to leave you with, guys. He says this. Notice. To those who are the cult, that's us. But he says, according to his purpose. Now, what does that mean, according to his purpose? Well, let me close with this story, if you don't mind. In her book, The Hiding Place, Tori Ten Boom relates an incident that taught her to be thankful for things that we normally would not be thankful for. She, She writes this, okay? She and her sister, Betsy, okay, prisoners of the Nazis had just been transferred to the worst prison camp they had seen yet in Ravensbrück. Upon entering the barracks, they found it extremely overcrowded and infested with fleas. Of course, their scripture reading from their smuggled Bible in that morning was First Thessalonians and it reminded them to rejoice always, pray constantly, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy told Corey, Corey, let's stop right here and let's thank the Lord for every detail of our new living quarters. Well, of course, Corey's like, are you kidding me? Corey says she first she flatly refused to give thanks for for the fleas, but Betsy said, "Come on," she persisted. Corey finally agreed to somehow thank God even for the fleas. During the months spent at the camp, they were surprised to find how openly they could hold Bible studies and prayer meetings in their barracks without guard interference. You know why? Several months later, they learned that the guards would not enter the barracks because of the fleas. That means according to his purpose. According to his purpose. See that? God's working it all out according to his purpose. So what's, what's this verse all about? Here it is. You ready? It's conformity to Christ. It's being conformed into his image, bringing glory to his name and that personal sanctification. That's what it's all about. Say no to the world and saying yes to Jesus. If I can have just a minute more of your time to say this. Life is still going to happen, church. Life is still going to happen, amen? How much better for life to happen with a God who loves you and a God who cares about you and a God who wants to walk with you how much better to understand all things in my life God is going to work for, for, listen, I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, and I can't predict what's going to happen next week, and every one of us in this room, might, man, we might have a, a, a bright future ahead of us, but we just don't know, but the comfort and the peace and the hope that I want to leave you is that you can do life with Jesus, and he can bring that comfort and that peace no matter what happens. But here's my thought, without Jesus, you don't have that. Without Jesus, you're taking on you're taking on life all by yourself. As a matter of fact, just like God brought me to that to that coffee shop, grocery store, unbeknownst to me, so that he could do something so amazing for this young man. God brought you to this church here today so that you can surrender your life to him once and for all. And see, you might be in that chair today and you might be thinking, pastor, you don't understand. I feel a million miles away from God right now. And you were saying some stuff and you were talking about conformity to Christ and I feel like I'm walking in the world. Listen, you may feel like you're a million miles away from God, but let me tell you this, you're one decision away from coming back to him. One decision. All you have to do is surrender your heart today. You go, well, how, pastor? What do I need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is recognize that now is not the time to be playing church. You know, his relentless love pursued you so much that he brought you here today to hear this message so that you can make a decision. You go, what decision is that? For you to surrender once and for all. Say, God, I'm tired of playing games. I'm gonna follow you. I want my heart transformed. I wanna follow you. I need you in this life, God. I need you here. I need you now. I can't do this without you. You know, Pastor, what do I need to do? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. To what? In a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And then I'm just going to ask you, if you, if you want to accept Jesus, if you want to move forward in your walk with him, if you want to recommit your life to him, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. Why do I have to raise my hand, Pastor? Why? Because I want God to see your heart. If you're serious about this walk with God, if you're serious about recommitting and following okay. Jesus, listen, we're not asking you to join a church. We're not asking you to have a relationship with a pastor or a priest or anyone else. It's about the God that created you right now, right here. He's saying, listen, he's opening his arms wide with the love that he can, he's saying, listen, I want you to come home. And right now the enemy is going, don't do it, don't do it. People are gonna see. And you know what you say? We don't care what people see. We don't care, we wanna just... This is something I need to do. I need to surrender my life to God. And when you raise your hand, I will acknowledge you, and then I will, I will lead you in a prayer. I will lead you in a prayer. Well, pastor, so if I pray this prayer, does it mean I'm saved? No, it doesn't mean you're saved. It means you make a commitment to follow God, but God will honor that prayer. He'll come into your heart. He'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll set you on the right course. Will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, God, for your word and the truth in your word today. We thank you for Romans 8.28. We thank you that it's conformity, it's loving you, it's walking, it's seeing life the way you want us to see it. It's thanking you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to help us and understanding that there's going to be sufferings. Thank you for that. Hey, listen, with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, would just say, "Pastor, you were talking to me, man. You were talking to me, and and I'm ready to. I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I've never, I've never really, I've never really made this commitment, but I want to today. I want to. I, I really want. I want to surrender my life to God. With every eye closed and every head bowed, only Jesus is watching you. How many of you would say, Pastor, pray for me? Will you just lift up your hand right now? All you got to do is just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sister, to my right. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Just, this is it. God brought you here today because he has a plan for your life. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just lift up your hand quietly. God will see your heart. You're saying, God, today, me and you, once and for all, I surrender. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, so just just going to give you a couple more seconds. If God is speaking to your heart right now, all you have to do is lift up your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I thank you, God, that you're moving mightily. We thank you, God, that we can surrender our hearts to you. Father, our decision today is to follow you. If you lifted up your hand or didn't lift up your hand, would you pray this prayer after me with all of your heart? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my past. I'm sorry for everything I've ever done, God. I believe you, Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe, Jesus, that you resurrected. And Lord, I believe you're in heaven right now. And here's my, here's my plea to you, God. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. And I'm asking you to be my Lord, be my God, and be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus. Help me, God. Help me walk in this. Help me learn you. Help me follow you. I choose you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.